the 55th big game is this weekend. 55. A game this big deserves a big prize, not just some trophy. To finish off the football season, DraftKings Sportsbook, the America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all players a no-brainer of an offer. To celebrate football's finale, DraftKings Sportsbook is doubling your money if a touchdown is scored in the big game. That's right. All it takes is for one touchdown to be scored Sunday night, and boom, your money is doubled. Sounds like a no-brainer. As if this game wasn't enough reason to party, with double the cash, you'll be celebrating until next season. So don't forget about DraftKings Big Game Prediction Challenge with up to $55 million in total prizes up for grabs and instant prizes for everyone who enters the contest. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its players since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to get a shot at doubling your money if a touchdown is scored in Sunday's game. That's promo code THPN to get a shot at doubling your money during Sunday night's season finale. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Colorado only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash prediction dash challenge dash DFS for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT or in Colorado, 1-800-522-522. Four seven zero zero. Welcome back to Bar Down Breakdown. We had our 100th episode just before, and to be honest, I thought we were just going to get canceled, but we're back with episode 101, and uh, I'm kind of surprised because I didn't think they would let us do this for any more episodes, but too bad, nani nani poo poo, we're still here. And uh, this is an awesome episode we got coming up with uh, a favorite band of mine, uh, Pioneers, of, you know, quote unquote, early 2000s emo music, uh, the Juliana Theory. Uh, But before we jump into our interview with uh, the two homies from the Juliana Theory, uh, let's jump into our scenes from the box. And uh, this one is not going to be the happiest one for Mikey and I. Uh, So I'm going to load it up. And our two minutes scenes of the box is going to be about the current state of the Islanders, a.k.a. Dumpster Fire. And and the scenes <laughs> from the box this week are presented by Leo Komarov. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Two minutes on the clock. Um, I'm just going to start and give my uh, uh, my in- insight here. It's, it's rough, man. It's um, 
you know, the Islanders are looking terribly exposed. Uh, the fourth line that, you know, everyone touts about being the best fourth line is hockey. It's essentially non-existent. Um, you know, you're looking at some of these guys that just aren't producing, uh, you know, not giving opportunities to, to younger guys. That Matt Martin deal just looks awful right now. Uh, they're just not playing up to their potential. I mean, you know, I, I said it. You know, the second period of the Caps game, uh, you know, that, that we lost 6-3, to three, that looked like Capuano-era Islanders hockey, and that is not good. Well, that's, um, that's where I want to come in, because <laughs> I, I've kind of always been, like, the optimist, I guess, of, of, of the two. Yeah. And one thing that I always kind of, like, believed with this trot system is that we didn't blow games when we had the lead. Yeah. And when we had a 3-0 lead, I, I like went up to go and talk with the guys on the Hockey Podcast Network, and I was just like, oh, we're good. We got a 3-0 lead. We're good. And then I came down, and we were, we were down a goal going into the second intermission. I was just like, whoa, things are not good right now. And, nope. you know, I, I, I think they got to mix the line up, lineups up because Leo Komarov should never be in our lineup ever again. And that's my last thing I need to say about that. He should be done. I don't want to see him ever again. Yeah, he should really just get, you know, probably banished to the minors at this point. And, you know, he can ride it out there, man. You know, I mean, make a little bit of money, what what have you. But it's rough. Really got to hope that the team is able to turn something around. Because right now, uh, you know, we were touted as, you know, being one of the, you know, premier teams in the league. And it's really not looking that way at all and that's our two minutes as sad as it is <laughs> yeah we, we could, probably could have spent a whole hour talking about Ugh. everything that's been going wrong but let's just not put ourselves there we we got a great episode with brett and josh from the juliana theory legends in our scene and they're back and that's awesome you know after all these years to come back and be back on one of the bigger independent labels and, you know, having all these amazing music videos they're putting out and singles and they're back. That's all I got to say. Like the Juliana theory is back full force. Yeah. You got to love that, man. I'm, I'm super pumped for it as well. Um, and you know, you get to hear our, our episode and we talk about a little bit of the nostalgia, but we also talk about you know, what makes the Juliana theory, the Juliana theory and what people can come to expect from their new singles and their new record that's coming, uh, you know, coming soon. But you don't need to hear me, you know, whining and crying about it, because I'll tell you what, Brett and Josh, we're going to hang. We're going to have a good time and uh, I'm just going to let it go from there. So without further ado, episode 101, the Juliana theory. Hope you enjoy it.
This one is something else. Uh, bar down, breakdown, back at you, and we've got Brett and Josh from the Juliana Theory. I, I mean, I, uh, you get if you see my face, you could see exactly what I'm feeling about this, and this is like unreal. Um, I mean, I'm just gonna launch into it, and uh, the first time I had the opportunity to see the Juliana Theory. It was in 2003, and I was 16 years old. And the Juliana Theory was on tour with Further Tombs Forever and the Ataris. I saw you guys at Roseland Ballroom in New York. I remember it very vividly, mostly because uh, I was 16 and I didn't realize that Chris Caraba wasn't in Further Tombs Forever anymore. So when like, Jason popped up on stage, I was like, what is this? This is ridiculous. But what I do also distinctly remember from that show was... Uh, um, Love had just come out probably about a couple of months before the show, and it was a really love-heavy set, but, like, you guys sounded just absolutely enormous. Um, and I had never had the opportunity to see you guys before that, um, but, you know, I, I loved, um, you know, the two records that came before, as, you know, as much as I loved how great Love was. Uh, but I just thought you guys really sounded huge, uh, just enormous. So uh, I guess the first question I'll, I'll ask you, you both is just – what changed in terms of like the production between uh you know the between those two records emotion is dead and, and love and how did it kind of affect your your live performance i think that's an interesting question i don't think uh, a huge amount changed as far as our live setup was concerned except that maybe our amps got bigger which I don't know if that really, that probably doesn't really translate to what's coming out front of house, but I know maybe the biggest difference was just that we had our own sound guy, like our own mixer who came with us for starting basically sometime in between that time period and then ended up staying with us for a long time. And I know that that helped us to sound better if nothing else. What what am I forgetting, Josh? <laughs> I think really that and, and it just like just our... Um, probably our influences what we were listening to at that time i think we were a lot of us anyway were really into led zeppelin pink floyd uh the who um even some semi newer stuff like uh like oasis and the black crows and just bigger bigger guitars bigger everything we kind of just uh i think that projected onto us a good bit too awesome awesome yeah it's um it, it just to me you know like i said being a, a 16 year old and just being kind of blown away by the enormity of it all uh is, is kind of kind of wild um so let's kind of let's fast forward to now right uh, i have plenty of questions to to feed you guys about before but let's talk about right now so um november you guys released can't go home so it's really i guess the first new music from the juliana theory really since deadbeat sweetheart i would have to say so we're talking 15 years so like for me there's like a real distinct kind of nostalgic comfort in hearing brett's voice again right i mean it's just like i, I listen to the juliana theory so much and here you guys are again uh with brand new music and just kind of hearing your voices 
is is something for me. So I know there's been some changes with the Juliana theory, but you know the core of you and Josh really remain the same. So once you guys, I guess, got into a room together and started doing this again, how did the creativity start flowing? I think it was, it was just honestly, we just had enthusiasm. I think, you know, we did this acoustic tour um, last year that kind of came out of nowhere. It wasn't really something that either of us were looking to do. And we just kind of said yes. And when we did, you know, we just ended up having a, a great time together, not just playing the shows, even though that was, of course, the highlight, but just hanging out together and, and you know, thinking about our songs and in different ways because we were playing them acoustic and talking to people every night who were stoked to see us play even in a in a different version and i think it just kind of a lot of it grew out of just the you know the fun that we had and the you know just doing that tour i think nice so you you mentioned that tour i was actually at that with uh the spill canvas and Corey wells when you guys were in charlotte uh well greensboro north carolina and you know taking that huge break before you know between touring and then hitting the road again was that exhausting to to be like back in a bus or a van and and going across the country it actually wasn't it was actually a ton of fun um because i know you know brett had done some tours on his solo record but i hadn't done any touring since 2006 or the very beginning of 2006 which our last tour was in europe um so i think um it was almost uh free and exhilarating to be out on the road again and just especially with just me and brett in an suv traveling across the country it was it was actually kind of awesome i agree not stressful at all to be honest no it was actually the least stressful tour i think probably that either of us had ever done true now i you know obviously the spill canvas is no rookie in in this scene either but but then you have a you know a kind of up-and-coming solo artists like Corey Wells. So you kind of had like three tiers of experience, you know, with you guys being the vets, then Spill Canvas, and then Corey Wells. So like, was it refreshing to see like the young buck hitting the road with you guys? Yeah, definitely. It's it's weird to... It's weird when you put it the way you just put it, because I remember when we were super young and basically our second support tour we ever did which came like a week after our first was opening for Sensefield and there was a pretty big age difference between us and them at that point and I remember feeling kind of like this wide-eyed kid who had barely seen the world and you had these like super experienced guys from Sensefield who had been doing it for years and just like they knew all the tricks of the road and they had like just everything lined up and kind of just knew knew how everything went and i feel like i was like wow it was it was cool to like look up to them and and learn from them and so it is strange but it's the cycle of life you know so it's interesting to be on the other you know on the other end of that spectrum cool now i i do want to talk about um a story that i heard that night when when i was watching you guys live um 
I forget which song you were introducing, but you were saying how it was for, and like when you wrote it, it was for Katie Holmes. And you were, you I didn't were, say that. I didn't say that name. <laughs> I alluded to it, but I didn't say the name. <laughs> but then you were mentioning how you were going to, you know, in a couple of months, be like on the same red carpet as her. Like, just curious as like a follow up, how did that go? Um, it as a that's a great question. And I'm sure you'll be the only person to ask it. <laughs> um, it's funny. That movie ended up having, it was really weird. It ended up having this like really cool underground premiere party that basically most of the cast, most of the cast didn't go to, but most of the crew who worked on it and a ton of our friends did. So I, I didn't get to like be on any same red carpets or anything, but that's quite all right. <laughs> Awesome. So um, I, I guess, you know, it, it's kind of cool to be able to talk with someone that has, you know, such an involvement in writing mu movie scores, because it, it is such a integral part of, you know, the movie experience is the, mu the music that is played, and it can really make or break a movie. And just this past Christmas, I was sitting down with my wife, and we were watching The Holiday. And it's funny that it's like Jack Black's you know, career in the movie, but also how fantastic that soundtrack is and like how, you know, that Imogen Heap song that plays at that one part part where Cameron Diaz is in the bar and it's just like, man, what a perfect song selection for that specific scene. Like, are there any specific soundtracks or scores that kind of got you motivated to go into this career path or like led to, to you writing movie scores? That's in. I mean, I fell into this career, side career, um, day job, whatever you want to call it, a completely by accident. And it wasn't <laughs> something that I was really looking to do. It was just something that the director had asked me to basically write some some music for a movie. And, and I, I was very reluctant and hesitant to do it because I didn't think I knew what I was doing. And I didn't really, but I had to force myself to learn. But you know, I do. I So, yeah, I, I didn't really try to do that. But at the same time, I can remember being a kid and leaving both Star Wars, like all the Star Wars movies and Superman and having all of those John Williams pieces of music, like all those score pieces in my head and like just walking around, like humming those tunes. And so in a way like that did always stick with me like growing up, like we kind of grew up in that time period where it was like, you know, Jurassic Park and, and Indiana Jones and so many movies that had these scores that were really singable almost in a way. So mm -hmm. it did probably leave an impact on all of now, us, I'm sure. Now, John Williams, he, he also did Home Alone, right? Yeah, I'm 99% sure of that. Don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> because here in Charlotte, North Carolina, they did something cool at at the symphony. They had the the Charlotte Orchestra play the the whole like soundtrack as Home Alone was playing, and it was just like a really cool experience to to have live music going with a movie that we were watching. It was pretty cool. That's awesome. I I love I love when people do that stuff. Yeah, definitely. I, I think um, 
I think you kind of hit it on the head, you know, especially when, when we, you know, get into like the late eighties and the early nineties and, you know, those epics of the nineties that just had like these tremendous soundtracks that lent so much <coughs> to the, to the emotion that you get behind it. I mean, like, you know, you think of, you know, Forrest Gump and Shawshank Redemption, like all those nineties movies that, um, you know, by themselves are, are fantastic, but you know, the, the score that accompanies it and, uh, you know, the, the direction of the music that's involved in it just kind of heightens it that much more. Um, and I think that's super cool. Uh, but now I've, I've just got a, a quick question for, for Josh. So, um, kind of taking it way, way, like way back. So, um, I know before, uh, the Juliana theory started their relationship with Epic, um, you know, you guys had a couple of, you know, records on, on a deal with tooth and nail, uh, and you guys released music from another room, uh, which I, I thought was like a fantastic EP. And actually, uh, this is the end of your life is still like one of my favorite Juliana theory songs, but I've always kind of been curious about how that release came to be, because I know I've read that the song, those songs were, were actually like written already. And then you guys ended up just kind of recording them. So did you record them just, you know, because you had like, um, like an obligation to tooth and nail, or did you end up kind of presenting it as a record because you just felt that the music really needed to, to, to be released? So a little bit of both. So I think at that point when we were writing the songs for that were going to be on music from another room, um, we were kind of experimenting with different things, um, different styles, uh, different instrumentations, stuff like that. And it didn't really fit with um, understand this is a dream or emotion is dead. It was kind of, um, you know, we always wanted to change up from record to record. We didn't want to redo or repeat ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. But we felt like there was a collection of songs there that were cool on their own, um, but were also kind of a, almost like a bridge to what we were going to do next. Um, so... <clears throat> We we went and did that EP, um, but to your point too, it was almost a little bit of uh, we wanted to kind of be over our deal with Tooth and Nail as well. Um, so we kind of it was like kind of like a two in one thing. Is like we wanted to get those songs out because we thought they were cool, um, but we also used it as a you know a piece to put you know finish out our contract with Tooth and Nail too. But sure. Let me sure. interject on this one because for the first time in my entire life, I remember something about the band that Josh forgot. And this is, it, this never happens. Josh always remembers everything and I always have to ask him. But we actually, the plan was we were going to do, we were going to do two seven inches. So we were going to do like half the songs on a seven inch or like a small EP on this label called Initial. And then we were going to do the other half on, uh, Equal Vision, who we are now signed to yeah. 20 years later. So the plan was actually, we were like, you know, we wanted to just do some stuff outside of Tooth and Nail and do some stuff that was vinyl only, do some like interesting kind of releases that would reach a slightly different audience because it wouldn't be, you know, because maybe some people that followed Equal Vision or whatever might hear the songs. And that was the plan. And we had the studio time pretty much booked to do that. And at the exact same time as when we were attempting to get out of our deal with Tooth and Nail, and we, long story short, we, our lawyer sent them like a some sort of option to get out of our contract, and they 
freaked out and tried to sue us to stay on the label. Jeez. And basically, <laughs> we ended up coming. The deal was we would give them a live record and we would give them those and let them make out of it. And so it was supposed to be two separate vinyl only releases on two other labels. But then when we had to make that deal with Tooth and Nail, that's when it became put together into music from another room. And so that's I interesting think, because, yeah. oh yeah, so what I was going to say is that's kind of interesting because, so Music From Another Room, you know, when it was first released, I think it was only released on, on like on CD and then kind of fast forward 10 years and, um, uh, it, you know, Enjoy the Ride ended up, ended up putting it out on vinyl. And I distinctly remember that vinyl because it was um, these really like cool colors. I think it was like bronze, silver, and gold. Yep, um, yep. Did you guys have like a lot of input on that release? Because you know, I, I've kind of heard stories about you know those kind of like like startup labels and imprint labels just like buying the rights and releasing it without the band having any say. But I know um, you know I've heard I've heard differing stories about different labels that kind of do that. So uh, did you guys have a lot of say in that? You know, with uh, with Enjoy the Ride, did you guys have a lot of input in how that was presented? Yeah, we did. We teamed up with. Um with Ross at the with Ross, the yeah, label. cool to do that. Yeah, awesome. Now, um, I guess my question, since we are kind of still on the tooth and nail topic, um, my question is: You guys were on the comp songs from the penalty box, which is like a hockey tooth and nail comp that they used to do, and then they just actually recently brought back. But a few people that we've talked to on tooth and nail like have no clue about that comp but you guys were on that so at least you guys must know something about where like that stemmed from and why tooth and nail puts that out i remember it i remember there was multiple volumes of it and i feel like maybe at the beginning was it was it more hardcore or something i don't remember but i have no idea where what they where where they came up with it from but i do remember it being a thing like before we were on one of them. I remember, like I, I had the one before it or whatever. Yeah, it was those like a uh, sampler thing they'd sell for like four or five bucks or something. Yeah, like yeah, get out. Yeah, I remember them too, but I don't remember the story behind them either, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, because the the owner of Tooth and Nails is like a Southern guy, right? He's from like Texas, I believe. So. I, I I'm not sure why he, he would put out like a hockey themed, you know, comp, but one day we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he might be, well, I, I actually don't know where Brandon is from originally, but I know that the label was in Seattle mm -hmm. always. And that's as you guys are probably talking about the Kraken now. Oh, I, mean, yeah. I know it's very close to hockey very close to hockey land in, in America as far as, you know, NHL teams. And now, of course, it's it's welcomed to the club. Yeah. So speaking of the Kraken, uh, let, let's ask this question. So, um, you know, we've before we've gotten you on the show, we've talked about how you're you're a Pens fan. Right. And uh, uh, as things go uh, with these expansion drafts, they kind of cherry pick from each team to build their own franchise much as the Golden Knights did. So the way you see it with your, your pens right now, who are you willing? Well, I shouldn't say who are you willing, but like you got to give up someone to the Kraken when that, that draft happens. 
who are you pushing for to leave the squad? I think uh, this could, I know both of us could probably answer this one, but um, I think how many did they get to keep? Like, how many did they get to protect this year? Is it the same as last where they get like five, five players yeah, I, they protect? I think it's something like, uh, what is it, like six forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie? I mean, I could be completely off base, but I know it's a small contingent that they can protect. Yeah. I think it like, yeah, because last time I think they protected, um, what, they protected uh, Murray because we lost Flurry to the Golden Knights. Because yeah. they obviously had the two goalie situation, mm-hmm. which I was kind of hoping to go into this year with. I was hoping that they'd have Jari Murray, and Murray would be the one that be shipped off. But we ended up getting, uh, we ended up trading them before that. So obviously they'll keep uh, Sid, Gino, and Gensel. Um, I don't know. I, I'm and they traded Hornquist over the off season too. So I'm kind of. Um, we I all would have said keep... Jack Johnson first. I know that. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. They would have. Yeah, for sure. Jack Johnson. I'm actually. Um, I, Chris Letang's a little frustrating to me <laughs> year to year. I love him, but uh, some. Yeah, I. I don't know. Maybe it's a time for a change of scenery for Chris, but I don't know. I don't hey, know when I when I met. When I met Crystal Tang, he was wearing a Ramones t-shirt and he was really nice to me. So I, I think we have to, I think we got to keep him just for that. Nice. Yeah. And it's funny. We were talking to Chris from Punchline and he was like, you know, he, he doesn't follow the pens as closely these days as he did, you know, in the early nineties, but he's like, I don't know. There's something about the pens recently that it feels like they're on a, a downward decline. And, you know, I kind of feel the same way. Like I, I don't, feel at like when i see the penguins on the upcoming schedule i don't feel the same way i used to maybe five years ago where like yes they still have sid and, and uh melkin but like i don't know I, I i i don't get that same like powerhouse of the league you know that i'm used to with the penguins i think yeah i mean it's bound to happen i mean we were dominant for so many years um and once your star players get into their mid thirties, you know, it's, it's bound to start uh, going downhill a little bit, but I think if, as long as they keep the influx of young players coming in, um, you know, we just, uh, we traded back for Casper Kapanen. We have John Marino, who's going to be an awesome defenseman. I mean, he had a great year last year, but he's only going to get better. Um, and then we have a couple draft picks as well over the past few years, like, uh, Sam Poulin and Nathan Lagar or whatever how you say his name to it. I think they've got big hopes for those guys. I think if, uh, you know, as long as Jake Gensel can keep scoring 40 goals too, I think, I think, I think they'll still remain competitive, but we've got a nightmare of a division too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But with the new realignment too, it's it, that, it that division's insane. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's going to be, definitely a bruiser of a division and and the fact that these teams have to play each other eight times throughout the season is also wild and i'm sure the the state of pennsylvania is excited for the penguins and and the flyers to play each other eight times throughout the season (laughs) which will will be it'll be very yeah Yeah, exactly now I, i guess um let, let's go back in time a little bit when you were, were starting your fandom with the Penguins. Um, I'm guessing you guys probably got into the Penguins like 
hardcore in the early 90s late late 80s when the team had you know lemieux and yager and it was like the 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 team of the 90s for hockey um you know can can you take us back to that time any I'll, any memories stand out i know for me it was i was mm, let me think i was 10 years old it was maybe we can all do the math here to figure out exactly how old I am from this, but it was 1988 and I was 10 and we had some of the games would be on TV and it wasn't like a very good broadcast, but for some reason, and I was not into sports at all. I didn't really, I didn't really watch any. I mean, I would watch a little bit of baseball, but it didn't really catch my interest. And for some reason I, started watching some penguin games and i just saw this lemieux guy doing things that even at the age of 10 i knew seemed to be almost superhuman and so i just kind of like really became a fan pretty young and as weird as this may sound that same year my family went to this charity auction and they were selling a bunch of random items and Two of them were Lemieux things. One was this framed poster, and one was like a giant clock. And for whatever reason, I convinced my dad that that's like what I wanted for my birthday. And so he bought me both of those things, and I hung them up in my room. And pretty much from that point on, from like 1988, I was just full-on Lemieux and the Penguins. And that kind of started my whole, my fandom. And then I started playing a couple years later, but that's where it all started for me personally. Yeah, and I was similar. I was a couple years later. Um, I think I I vividly remember um, in the 90 Stanley Cup playoffs, I think I started watching, for some reason, I think I was watching the games with um, my dad um, against the Bruins. So it was the conference finals. And just same thing, um, you know, seeing Mario. And uh, I loved Mark Recchi at the time, too, and Kevin Stevens. Um, just right around there is when I started like getting the fever and then, you know, obviously watching the games with the North stars and then heading into the cup years after that, it, that's kind of right. When I started to, it was just like a magical thing happening too, especially in the cup final with the North stars. I was just figuring out what the Stanley cup even was. And, um, very vividly remember like Mary on the on the splitting the North Stars defenseman and scoring that goal, sliding down and stuff. It was just fan for life after that. Yep. Now, uh, you know, obviously when you would go to games as young lads, you were still going to the igloo. Um, have you been able to go to PNG Paints or whatever it's called these days? Do you feel like it's it's lost some of its like grit and you know that what what made you love the penguins in those early years? It's weird. That one, like I went to the very first, I went to the very first game at PPG or what? Yeah. Whatever it's called. Yeah, whatever right it's called. <laughs> and it's, don't, it's very nice. Of course there's like the thoroughfares, there's way more room to walk for the most part. And it's, it's obviously got all the modern luxuries, but it's that same comparison to like, take it back to band thing. There's still that magic about playing the dumpy 300 capacity club with a stage that's only two feet high, as opposed to playing 
this as opposed to playing Roseland Ballroom, there is some sort of magic in like the older buildings and and like the igloo. You felt like you were, especially if you had the cheap seats, which I did a lot of times in, in the early days. If you were sitting way up there and at the top, it was almost like you were completely on top of the ice. Like you would, it's almost like you're going to fall down the the stairs at any point in time. But it was it was also just really loud. So if anything, I do miss some of the just weirdness of that building and the and just how loud it was and it is strange to think that oh there was all this history at this place and all these magical games and now we're going to tear it down and i'm not going to have that physical location anymore and i get that's what happens a lot of times in pro sports but personally yeah i miss the igloo personally yeah, it always seemed like a you know a very similar kind of barn to where the Islanders play with the Nassau Coliseum. Like, yeah, it's dumpy. Yeah, the ceiling falls down on you when you're up in the cheap seats. But like, it's home. And and we're we're getting a brand new arena, not for this season, but for the following season. And you know, owners are keeping in mind like, you know, how how Islander feel Islander fans feel about the Coliseum. So like they're keeping the ceilings low, but it's still going to be a world-class arena. So it's going to like lose some of the charm for sure. And a lot of these new state-of-the-art arenas are, are, are very cookie cutter and they're all the same, no matter what city you're in where, you know, where else can you see like an actual arena that's shaped like an igloo? Like <laughs> that, that's like a, a, a cool kind of, you know, quirky thing that the Pittsburgh Penguins had. Yeah, for sure. Totally. So just have I, to wait another twenty five years, and then the uh, then the arena will be nice and quirky and old and dumpy. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a a quick little little thing that you know maybe some people don't know, but it's a little Easter egg that uh, I, I love, and I'd never had the chance to talk to you guys about, but because you're here, I'm going to talk to you about it. So. Um, Looking back to Emotion is Dead, and you guys put that out on vinyl through CI, uh, and um, I had a copy of it. Uh, I ended up, um, I had a great record exodus, and I sold it off, unfortunately. However, um, come to learn in doing some research that you guys have etched into the matrix on this particular record, the pen's rule like actually etched into the matrix on the record. So, I mean, like, who, how'd you guys, like, who'd you guys talk to? Just be like, yo, just, it's got to go in there. It's got to be in there. <laughs> so the owner of CI Records was an old friend of ours and um, uh, quote unquote tour manager for us for a little bit. I say that just because uh, it's Jeremy. Um, he's just a funny guy. He's a, uh, we met him on Sensible tour. He was their tour manager. And then, he eventually became ours so he talked us into we'd always wanted to put something on vinyl um so he's from philadelphia huge philadelphia sports fan but he also respected our love of the penguins and i think he kind of put that in just as a a little thing for us as a you know be a little homer he, he was a he was a i think a closeted pens fan a little bit um with his love of the phillies and eagles and stuff but yeah, the, the the Flyers. I mean, you know, they, they were they were a, 
a, a bit rough around the edges for a while. And, you know, the pens just always happen to have just this powerhouse of a team. So I, you know, I guess I can kind of understand it, even though I'm sure if you're from Philly and you hear that, you'll probably uh, have some sort of a conniption about it. <laughs> they owned us for a long enough in the seventies yeah. and eighties. And that, that's very so. true. So, um, so, Emotion is dead. Um, I just want to just ask a quick question about that particular record. So, uh, you know, for me, that's the first, uh, the first record in, in, in full that, that I heard, um, you know, getting into you guys when I was again, you know, 14, 15, God, that's like so long ago, but, um, um, you probably get this question very often, but I'm just curious, um, we're at the top of the world, right? I just like, I mean, I don't know if there's another song in that, in this genre that like you could hear and just like, you, you, you just smile. I mean, like that's literally that song in a nutshell. It's just, it comes on and it's just like, I got two and a half minutes of like doing this. Um, and I mean, I love it. I love it to death. So um, like, how did how did that song just like come to be like how, how do you do you produce something so like happy and warm and fuzzy and i just how does how how did that happen we were laughing when we made it literally <laughs> so i th- i think that probably translated because josh came in with the bass line which is the like the foundation for the whole song mm-hmm. and he plays his bass line and Right away, I just thought, oh, yeah, that's really cool. And I think you have the guitar part, too, that goes over it. Or if you didn't yeah. have it with you, yeah. And you just started playing that together. And immediately, I just thought, oh, this is this is this feels great. This is really just, you know, this is just something really feel good. And then mm-hmm. we kind of figured out the chord change for the chorus, which is just the same chords in a different order. And when we did that immediately just not even thinking twice i just grabbed the microphone this is in our rehearsal space in my parents basement i think yeah it was and i just sang sha la 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 sha la 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 as just like a, a joke more or less and and then i remember you looked at me Josh. you just looked at me and you started laughing and as soon as you started laughing i was just like Oh man. And I just start, kept singing that. And then we just kind of realized, oh yeah, that's that's the chorus. And then chorus. you know, yeah. kind of came from there. So it was very quick and easy for the most part. And if you think it came like if you think it's a fun song, it's because that's the spirit that really it was made in for for real. Awesome. Awesome. I, I mean, you know, when 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 else am I gonna get to ask that question to you guys? So I, I, <laughs> Took a shot. Um, so one one more question that I've I've uh, just always had some curiosity about. So um, you know, when you guys ended up uh, releasing Love, um, you know, two thousand three, and I know like the, the backstory about it getting leaked almost like six months before it actually came out. Um, and, and I mean, I have to imagine, you know, you work so hard on, on, on like a piece of art and it gets kind of spilled out to the public and it's got to be like the most aggravating thing because as a band, you always want to present your work in a certain way. 
But I know, doing a little bit of research, even with the record leaking, in its first week, Love sold like 17,000 copies. And I think to date, it's sold almost 100,000. Um, so as aggravating as a leak is, do you guys consider that the record leaking, like bolstering the sales that came out in the first week? Because maybe people were like, oh, I heard this record already. Now it's out. I, I want to get it on CD. I want to get a physical release of it. Or do you think that if the record never leaked, you might have done 30K in the first week? Like, how do you guys kind of reconcile that happening? Wow. That's a really interesting question. I've never really thought of that before. Um, Me neither. I'll say, I'll say what I think, and then, Josh, you can say whatever you think about this. But I know that the label the label basically told us before the record came out that they didn't think we made the right record and that they weren't going to promote it. So the fact that it sold what it did was solely because of the audience we had built from touring and from the records before that. And so I think knowing that they basically decided we're not really going to do any ad spin, we're not going to make any music videos, we're not really going to push anything to radio. Kind of knowing that, I don't know how much the leak would have, how much that affected it, other than it just bumming us out that it was basically six or seven months later than it was supposed to happen. And, you know, when you're just kind of waiting for like this thing to happen so you can continue everything else you're doing. Cool. So I, I guess my, my follow-up question then is, you know, you're hitting it back, you know, in the year 2020, you, you, you're signed to equal vision records and ready to release new music, you know, with your history of not having such great relationships with labels, you know, what, what made you guys decide, you know what, let's go and sign with equal vision. Like, you know, in the year 2020, uh, especially veterans like yourselves, like self-releasing music can work and it usually is very successful for the band. Like, why did you guys decide all these years later, you know what, let's get back on a label. Well, first of all, Dan is, Dan, who runs Equal Vision, is like the coolest dude on earth and like one of the best guys in the industry that I could possibly think of. And to take it back to what we were talking about before with music from another room and the splits that we were going to do on certain record labels, we literally have had this relationship with Equal Vision since Understand This is a Dream, where we were talking to them and wanted to do things together. So when the idea for this started to kind of really percolate more in my head. Dan's one of the first people that I reached out to and his enthusiasm was immediately contagious. Like he was just super excited about the idea of us working together. And he was super excited about being creative with release and doing weird one-off pressings and strange little things that yes there are wonderful examples like our like our friends in zeo who release their own stuff and they do just an amazing job with things like you know custom nintendo cartridges with their record on it and <laughs> things like that but yeah. that is it's a 
it's a full-time job to just do that part of it. And like that, you know, Zayo has Jeff, the drummer who basically is the label and kind of, as far as I know, like handles all that kind of stuff. So we kind of knew that if we were going to try to bring a band back from retirement for so long that if we were going to put the amount of time and effort that we knew it was going to take to put into making the best music we could make and to like supporting it any way possible, we knew that having somebody who believed in us that could help and had avenues to help and a checkbook that they can use to help us make things happen. And so I think, you know, like Josh and I have both done a couple releases that are pretty much self-released and there's definitely pluses to that. But I just think we felt like for this particular time, we wanted to team up with somebody who loved the band and felt passionate about trying to, you know, continue, continue and, and to do good things now. So that's what I think, I guess. Cool. So a lot of these songs that will be on your upcoming release, like, are they songs that you had banked for a few years or like, did you guys go into the studio and they're like, you know what, we're going to write the Juliana theory songs now. I think it's a little bit, I think it's a little bit of both and it's still, um, is still progressing as it goes, but there's there's not a lot of rules at this point. So some of yeah, some of it is some of it is stuff that we've been work shedding on our own individually for longer amounts of time or shorter amounts of time, and then sometimes things grow out of that. And I think that's a lot of what's happening here is we're just continuing to grow from things we had started individually, I guess cool now are are you you know at, at you know with your new single that you guys just released in november you know it, it's definitely got a, a different sound than what your diehard juliana theory fans might be used to especially like ones that are there from you know the late 90s early 2000s like were you ever worried to like go too far off from like the the path that the juliana theory already had paved i don't think so i kind of going back to the music from another room question too or you know we're talking about that you know we kind of went into every record that we ever put out hoping that it would be different and uh in a lot of ways from the previous record uh we never wanted to repeat ourselves um so really i think the 2020 version of the Juliana Theory is just a, a progression of the 2005 version of the Juliana Theory. Yeah, and and the other part of that too, I agree 100% with Josh. I think the other part of that is it was a difficult decision for us in a way to to decide what new music we're going to let people hear first because. I'm not exactly sure it's safe to say that one song really rec- like represents what the quote unquote sound of the band currently is. And, and I use, I'll use emotion is dead as an example of that, because if you listen to, if I told you this was killing me, would you stop? That's this fairly aggressive distorted guitar mm-hmm. kind of almost mm-hmm. yelling, yelling rhythmic vocals that have just a tinge of like, a rap cadence to them and then 
a couple songs later, you have Top of the World that you were talking about, which is like this 60s influenced bubblegum pop. And then you have a 10 minute um, wannabe prog rock song. And then you have <laughs> like electronic <laughs> moments. And then you have a song that we got called the Emo Boy Band because of. And so if you had just listened to Don't Push Love Away and you just listened to, to the tune of 5,000 Screaming Children, those are such different songs in a way that you would say, I don't know what this band sound is. So what I'm basically saying is can't go home. Isn't necessarily the full picture. It's, it's a, it's a, a it's a part of the picture that can't really be, um, can't really be pinned down by just that one song. Yeah. I, I think that's like, I think that's the most perfect way to explain it because in truth that, I mean, like, that's really true. I mean, using emotion is dead. As you're saying it to me, I'm thinking to myself, like, yeah, like, you know, if I if I only heard one track from that record and tried to extrapolate what I think the rest of the record would be like, it, it would be a misrepresentation. So, um, I, you know, I'm super excited to hear, you know, the record when it's available and, you know, what, it, how it's going to kind of kind of ebb and flow, because. I think that's something to to the point of, of the music that you guys have created over time. You know, when you listen to to Dream and then Emotion is Dead and then Love and Deadbeat Sweetheart, I mean, each record is like so like your voice, right? Like your voice is is unmistakable. It's it's Brett's voice, right? So I mean, like, you know, whether it was ninety nine or two thousand five, like your your voice was the constant, but in terms of what developed around it, it very very different and very pleasantly different because some bands kind of get formulaic and they decide okay we wrote a record we know that record works let's just sort of just kind of get on that train and just keep riding it until the coal burns out you know whereas with with you guys you guys realize well we're not going to enjoy doing this if we don't evolve so we need to evolve but you guys evolved in such a way that kind of was almost ahead of its time. I mean, like, love to me, with the exception of, of Into the Dark, because I knew it from the record prior, is like a much more alternative-centric record than, I guess you could call Emotion is Dead, like a, an emo record. I'm doing air quotes because, like, what the hell is emo? I mean, someone's going to yell at me because I it writes a spring is emo, and someone else is going to yell at me because Take Next Sunday is emo. And I, I don't know how to not gentrify it. I don't know, but it's kind of now. Now people say no, Osiris is. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, and it's just like it's kind of wild because I, I don't understand how fans of of bands like can hear new music and a jump to conclusions that quickly, but also like expect that fifteen years can go by. And you guys are going to write music that's going to echo stuff you wrote 20 years ago. Like, it's just not realistic um, for, for me as a listener and for you guys as artists. I mean, like, it's just not realistic. It's, it's weird because I, I think in general, if you try too hard to please somebody else, you will end up pleasing nobody because you will not end up hitting what it was that they wanted. And you'll end up not doing what you wanted and nobody will be happy. And at the same time, it's like, if somebody, if we put out, say we drop 15 songs 
and somebody genuinely, honestly, that loved our old stuff listens to them with an open mind and says, these 15 songs are not for me. I just, this just isn't my thing. There's absolutely nothing stopping them from listening to anything else that they like that we did in the past. And, and you know, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit there are certain artists that I adore and they hold a, an extremely close place in my heart. But, and I would consider myself a massive fan of, but there are certain parts of certain artists I could think of career where I'm like, eh, this is the part that I got lost on. But does that mean I don't like that artist or that band? No, it just means that, you know, sometimes whatever, you're not going to, you're not going to always please everybody. But again, the cool thing is if you liked something, it, it still exists. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, if you know if someone isn't loving your new single they can go listen to emotion is dead and it's you know good, good for them you know and but i um another question i have for you guys is just kind of um kind of like one of those uh, i don't know what do you I, I forget what what i'm trying to call it but at any rate so <laughs> the two so the 2000s you know you guys are running in circles with like you know bands that like yourselves are, are tremendously influential in, you know, kind of breeding and, and bringing together the music that would come after it. And then even after it, so, uh, you know, the most popular bands right now that kind of pervade this alternative scene, you could probably say wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for bands like, like, like you guys kind of paving the way. And then even the bands before you guys that paved the way for you guys to do what you do. So having said that, you know, early 2000s, so many bands that were kind of like your, your peers, let's say, that kind of ran alongside of you. So now we're looking forward to 2020, and some of those bands are still around, but are there any bands that you kind of ran in those circles that have since stopped performing that you think if they came back in 2020 would kind of like light the world on fire? I don't know if this band would light the world on fire, <laughs> but I would I would love to hear another recover record, and I always felt that was a very underrated band in, oh, gosh. in our world. And I feel like if I feel like if Recover came out with something new, it would be really sick. So, like, yeah. So just, what, just what, else, what else, Josh? Yeah, I want to hear your answer, Josh. But before before I shoot to you, I just have to tell you that. Uh, so I've been playing drums for a long time, and. Uh, the first time I heard my only cure for like the next, I'd say probably 18 months, anytime I would sit down on a drum set to do anything, I would just play that opening triplet fill to my only cure. <laughs> and then when I saw, and then when I saw the video, I always tried to emulate it. So he, he, he plays the fill, then he hits the crash cymbals. And like, as soon as he hits the crash cymbals, he like throws his body back off the drum set. And I'm like, Okay, is that actually possible to like do? So like I, I'm a, I'm a big dude. I tried it like once or twice and realized like I'm gonna murder. I'm gonna die if I do this. <laughs> but I thought visually, I thought that was like the coolest thing I've ever seen. Just bang, throws himself back. Love it. So thank you for mentioning Recover because I don't know who else ever on this podcast is gonna mention Recover and one of my favorite bands. But Josh, what do you think? Oh, you know what? That's a really that's a really tough question. Um, I'm trying to rack my brain of bands that 
would have left <laughs> left completely like we did and then came back like one of my favorites were always um love drug uh, Great band too, I yeah. always loved 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 every record and but they they recently put out their last record um uh, I think it was last year I believe they kind of came back and forth over the past like like from 2010 to 2020 they put out a couple records but that was always one of my favorite bands Michael yeah. the singer I thought was a tremendous songwriter always did really like amazing things musically and stuff too but yeah Love Drug was a was a great band too I personally and I think Mikey would probably agree with me I think we'd both kill for another North Star record yeah even you know even as good as Casino is you know but like something about that band man they I don't know they just like kind of had those two records and then just disappeared, you know, off the face I, of the earth. I think I'd take the big, like the big classics in a heartbeat. Like if sunny day real estate and yeah. wanted to make records right now, I'd be, I'd be first in line to buy them. And I'd be first in line to go see the shows like whenever and wherever they were for sure. Yeah. You know that that um I, I had hope uh, that one record store day a couple of years back where Sunny Day ended up doing that split with Circa, um you know it was a brand new Sunny Day song and I was like oh maybe you know maybe something's coming but nothing ever materialized which was a a, a bummer definitely fingers definitely crossed. yeah right we just all got to cross our fingers so um one last uh, Juliana theory question and then I just want to talk a little bit of. Uh, of, uh, of hockey and just kind of look into what this, you know, this new season is going to bring. But, um, and this again, is just a, a curiosity question of mine, but um, why did you guys choose to re-record into the dark on what? Um, because we were asked to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, so you were like the, like, epic asked you to kind of deal yeah yeah they they basically were like um i don't know why it was that one not top of the world to be honest but uh somebody at the label i don't know if it was our a and r guy or who but it was just something where they're like we really want you guys to re-record into the dark we really want you to put it into the dark on this record and so i think we were just like oh let's you know we'll take one for the team and do something that the label was it am i remembering that right do you think josh yeah that was pretty much it because i always had a feeling when we went into agreeing with it my mind always flashed back to face to face doing disconnected like on four or three different so yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i reluctantly agreed but it i'm i'm happy it's on there It, it turned out it's my favorite version of the song, so. Yeah, that's that's the, the follow up question I was going to ask. Is that, is that the the version that you guys prefer to the to the version on on emotion? Like personally, I don't know yeah, about I Brett. Prefer. I do, but no, I do too. I think it sounds a little bit more. I sound a little less strained as a singer on that version, just a little bit more relaxed, and it, and it definitely sounds bigger and has a a fuller bigger mix for sure yeah yeah it's just, it's just you know i i don't understand why like you know you, you have the dial tone in the first one and then you know like fake dial tone in the second one i don't know i was always resented the juliana theory for taking my dial tone away I don't know what it was. no it's the other way around it's the other way around, oh, the other way around? yeah there was no dial tone in the first one 
and it was just this kind of like cheap keyboard that had this organ and I just played this one note on an organ and I, I don't know, we might've added like an, a, a slight effect to it, but just repeated that one note and no, no joke. We were recording, we were recording the song for love and somebody was working on some part of the song and I heard the intro of Into the Dark was playing. And at the exact same time, I picked up a landline telephone for all of your listeners who don't know what that is. <laughs> it's this weird thing that used to, it's a cell phone that used to be in your house that was connected. And when you would pick it up, it would have a, this, this busy sound or a dial tone or whatever. And, and I picked up the phone to make a call. And the exact time I picked up the phone, I heard the, this, uh, 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 and it was completely in tune and in rhythm with the song. And I was like, that's really weird. We got to use this. And so we just recorded the dial tone and added it in. Awesome. Love that. Love that. All right. So I guess Tom wanted to touch on a little more penguins. To, he, and I'm usually the one that likes to mix in as much hockey talk as possible. But um, looking to this weird shortened 56 game season, what are your predictions for your good old pens? Oh, it's gonna be a tough one. I think overall, though, I'm, I, I think I'm I'm pretty excited about the 56 games. I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun, um, and not as long and grueling as the 82 games. But um, I think that they'll finish. Uh, I think they'll make the playoffs, but probably just squeak in like they did the past two years. Kind of be on that verge. You know, hopefully they'll hit a hot streak at some point in March, like they usually do. And that's me, anyway. I don't know. Yeah, I mean that that is it. It really is a, a tough division, man. It I is. Mean, you've got you know the Flyers that are excuse the pun, but gritty as hell. You've got <laughs> you, know, you guys and the Caps that are always unpredictable. You've got you know a, a, a Bruins team that is even with you know the the people they've lost it's still a powerhouse you've got our, our islanders who are scrappy as hell and then you've yeah. got the rangers who have now added you know this kitten lafreniere who's like you know poised to make a difference and you know the fact that he's on the same team as panarin is, is a little, little scary a little yeah, scary to sure. me and, and you know and that's not to say anything about you know the sabers or the devils i mean i'm sure they're gonna have some fun but uh let's be real you know I know I'm a little scared about I'm a little scared of the Rangers, but I hope that they uh they just uh screwed up like they always do. Hopefully, <laughs> love it. Now you, you can't you can't discredit the the Sabers with a shortened season like this. Like they're young, and and that's usually like what the 82 game season does is like they start to filter out those teams that just can't cut it the full season. But with a yeah. shortened condensed season, like a young, young, inexperienced team could do really well. And, you know, they got Taylor Hall now on that one-year deal. He's got something to prove. Like, I don't know, man. I, I think the Sabres, we can't write off quite yet. No, not at all. And what about you, Brad? Are, are you – so you're out in L.A. Is it going to be difficult for you to to follow the, the pens as closely as you used to? No, I always – have always bought the NHL center ice package and I always have it uh, at all times. Like, so I can watch the games. My problem is sometimes when I get 
on a movie is su- is such a demanding and shortened schedule that I don't really have the time to watch the game. So a lot of times I'll just have the game on mute on like one of my screens, like in the corner, so I can sort of be paying attention, but I'm missing all the I'm missing all the nuances of the game. I'm not hearing the call and I'm not hearing like, you know, what uh, all the fun stuff that's really going on. So it's not as uh yeah, it's not as it's not as cool, but it's adult stuff. <laughs> now I I'm extremely jealous of you. Like I kinda wanna move to the West Coast just so that like I can watch Islander games at like five o'clock while I'm like cooking dinner or like not <laughs> And and as you said, like grown up problems, like not staying up till ten o'clock at night on a school night. Like I wish I could watch a hockey game and then still like wind down and get ready for bed at a normal time. Yeah, that's one of the weirdest things about it. When when I first moved here was, oh, I'm gonna stop what I'm doing at four thirty to watch <laughs> to watch hockey. It felt really, it just felt wrong. But but it all you know it also feels wrong. I remember I went to one of the. I went to one of the games when the Kings were in the final. I can't remember if it was when they won back to back or it was the first year. I get no, it was 2012. And I went to one of those games in 2012 and it was game four and they had just won the three games in a row before that. So they, they could have swept to, to win the cup, but they ended up losing that one game that I went to, but it was like, not only is it weird living in a place where NHL games on for my team start at seven or four thirty, but it's also weird living in a city where it's like ninety three degrees and you're walking in to watch like a hockey game. It's, it's that's also kind of weird too. Yeah, um, I, I mean, you know, living in living in Florida, it's it's very strange. Uh, you know, I've, I've been to a, a Bolts game once. And that Bolts game was uh, in the quote-unquote winter, uh, but there's not a winter in Florida ever. So I mean, it's just you know, it's just the whole idea of, of, of sweating in your jersey is uh, you know, and not actually playing is is very very strange. But um, so to to your point, real quick, Brett. So you you know, being being in LA, um, how do you feel the like the the hockey fandom is? Uh, in LA versus Pittsburgh? Like, do you feel that it's kind of like a little bit more flippant in LA or do you feel like there's more diehard people than you'd, you'd think in, in a market that's so saturated with all, with everything, you know? There's definitely fans here and uh, I don't want to get on any of their bad side, but there's no comparison. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like a, it's a stratosphere of difference. Um, people here care about the Dodgers and they care about the Lakers. Lakers and yeah. in general, so we, we have a hockey team. Oh, they're, they're in, they're in the finals. Oh, they're going to, what's the Super Bowl of hockey? That's, that's what it feels like. Like when I, I said earlier, I saw, I saw Chris Letang or I met him. I met him at a restaurant, just like I was eating breakfast and I, I saw him like one table over and the Penguins had just won the cup one honestly maybe it's two two weeks earlier it was um i'm thinking it was 2000 2016 and you know one of the stars of the team that just won the cup is just sitting at a restaurant and not a single person would have ever 
ever given him a second glance. It's just a regular guy where, you know, in in you know, in Detroit or in in Pittsburgh or wherever, you know, because you asked about Pittsburgh, it's like we that wouldn't really happen. I think like we you know, people would know people would know who whatever it was, but in LA it's just like absolutely no clue. And it's the absolute lowest sport on the rung of like not just the major four, but like there's like 25 other sports that are way bigger than hockey here. So, yeah. I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. I'm in North Carolina where it's kind of the same deal. You know, college football, even high school football is sometimes king to, to you know, professional hockey. So I totally get that. We are the underdogs. <laughs> and I like it. That, that that I think that's why I'm such a big hockey fan is gotta love the underdog mentality and where you can actually have true upstate uh, upsets in sports like you know it, it you don't really see eight seeds in any other professional league going on and winning the championship where that happens in hockey which is just right. makes it special. Too awesome, it's so grueling too. I mean. You know, baseball has a seven in basketball, but it's it's just nothing like hockey. The physical toll that those guys go through to make it to the end. It's, I don't know, it's just a different Yeah, different every animal. time you hear of like, oh, the, the playoffs just ended. This guy was playing with a broken left kneecap and this guy was playing yeah, yeah. with no this guy's nose was not connected to his face and then it's like oh and it's every it's every single dude so yeah right and and it's it's just such a stark contrast when you when you look at like you know some of these like baseball and basketball injuries that you see and, and you know i'm not trying to you know slight against those athletes because you know those athletes you know they, they play hard but just not as hard as hockey players play and to that to, wow. to that credit, it's just like exactly what you said. Like, you know, you've got, you know, a, a sport that routinely relies on on oh, there's a two on one. Uh, let me just throw myself in front of this like hard disc, and if it like knocks my teeth into the front row, like that's cool because at least it didn't go into the net. And it's just like it's it just like that level of commitment is what makes me love hockey so much because it's like there are, you know, there are some of these, these guys playing hockey right now that like all they've ever dreamed about is like, you know, drinking out of the cup or hoisting the cup above their heads. And, you know, the, the same kind of guys who, if they're worth four or $5 million, instead of trying to stretch money out, they're like, well, you know, I can take 2 million and go to a team that will get me closer to to kind of having this childhood dream come true. And I think that's one of the things about hockey that makes it so special is just, you know, it's all about the cup, you know, like is money great. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, are the best players making some great money? Sure. They are in a nine, 10 million a year. But, you know, if you asked Sid, Sid Crosby, you know, as much as like, you know, I'll tease him till the day I die because he's probably maybe Sid to me. But like, if you asked, if you asked Sid Crosby, like, you know, what means more to you, $10 million or the cup? I, I guarantee you he'd probably say the cup. Just like all of these guys from Canada, Russia, you know, the Czech Republic, all that kind of stuff, man. I, I just think it's such a, an awesome thing. And I think that 
kind of paints the parallel between, you know, music and hockey. And what we try to strive to talk about here is, you know, alternative music is alternative. It's called that for a reason, because it's the alternative. It's the alternative to pop music, it's the alternative to whatever. This is the alternative sport. I mean, it really is. Right. In America, at the very least. In Canada, not so much. But in America, it's the counterculture of sports. And the two just come together in such like a, like a, like a, a a weave that it's just i think it's so great and you know i can't say enough about it i love it love it to I death. Do. and plus you don't hear about the drama that you hear in the in the nfl you know you don't have guys well for the most part at least you don't hear about them but you don't have guys hitting their girlfriends in an elevator or yeah or, you know just just all that stuff you, you know mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, you had Semyon Varlamov a couple of years ago, but that's like the only instance you hear about, like in maybe four years, something like that. It's it rarely happens, but yeah. I don't know. And that's another thing. Those, you know, typically even when you meet a hockey player, it, mm-hmm. they're just they're the nicest, humble guys, and it's just yeah, it's just awesome. Sweet, Absolutely. different breed, different breed of people. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. So. Um, listen, on that note, I mean, we've, we've had you guys for, for a bit over an hour now. Um, you know, it's been such a good opportunity to kind of talk to you guys and learn a little bit more about, about the band and, and, uh, you know, how hockey has influenced you and really where you're going. Uh, so I guess before we, uh, we call it a night, um, you know, knowing that there's a new record on the horizon, I don't know how much you could tell us about it. Uh, you know, we don't want to, you know, spoil anything, but uh, what can we expect from the Juliana Theory in 2020? Well, I can tell you that based on when this comes out, there is another single in a video called Better Now that is now available for anybody who's listening to this that's quite a lot different than Can't Go Home. And that's something we don't have to speculate or, or uh, beat around the bush about because it, it exists and is already, you know, able to be watched and listened to. But we're, we're especially excited about that song and video, but I think even maybe the video in its own way almost as, as much as the song, just because I, I, think it's a, I think it's a song and a video that's kind of, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to say that it's meant for this moment in time, but this is where it kind of needs to be. And I feel like it, it might be the kind of video that can help some people. And I think that like considering the last year for most of us, I think a lot of us could kind of use a little bit of positivity and hope. And it's a very hope feel like hope and hope-filled song and video so there's more things coming but yeah but that is available now it's it's called better now absolutely and we're we're definitely looking forward to that and then hey you know just out of curiosity when you know the record comes out and you guys you know inevitably do a vinyl for it like are we we looking at like a black and gold colorway or something like that some some (laughs) reference we'll have to see we'll have to see (laughs) <laughs> I would, I would love that. I'd be all about it, but uh, really looking forward to, uh, to the, you know, to the new single, which is, uh, which is available now, uh, you know, just go, go ahead and your favorite place, Spotify, Apple music, YouTube, wherever you like to go to listen to music, uh, make sure you listen to it. Uh, you know, because again, it, it's the Juliana theory. And I mean, I don't, 
you know, I don't have to tell you. I mean, you know, I've been listening to these guys since I'm a wee lad. And uh, <laughs> the fact that they're back making music is really a great thing. So from the bottom of my heart, I'm sure from the bottom of Mikey's heart, we really appreciate the time you've taken to come on here and chat with us. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see. Hopefully when, uh, you know, the season's in full swing and, uh, you know, maybe playoff time when, when it's Pens and Islanders, we can get you guys back on and really share some real bad blood because that's what hockey does to you, man. Friends now, but once we're playing in the playoffs, it's a whole different story. Sounds good. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> All right. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate you, and we hope you have a great rest of your evening. All right. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, guys. Pleasure. Cheers. Care. See ya. Oh, don't speak the word surrender. Won't seek to our defeat. I know where you're on a bender. That you're just searching for and how a heavy heart always weighs you down it's hard to breathe at night with no one around so i stay by your side never let you down so that you never drown so can you back on the other side dope interview with the juliana theory it's super cool to get to you know talk to these two guys that have had a hand in writing some of my favorite music um emotion is dead is you know like one of my favorite records um and uh they just recently did a uh an anniversary pressing of it which uh, i've not yet gotten my hands on um i had the original pressing uh, when I was collecting records before, and I was super proud of that one. But, um, you know, to be honest with you, like I said, great that they're back. Great that they're making music again. I think, um, you know, time has not passed them by, and I think they're uh, going to do some great things for sure, man. And it was super cool to get to talk to them a little bit about hockey and music and, 
you know, about their new single Better Now and their awesome, really uplifting music video for it, which if you haven't had the opportunity, go check it out. Super cool. Yeah. And in the interview, um, you, you mentioned their collaboration with Enjoy the Ride Records. And we, ha- we have kind of a personal connection to that record. Um, you know, when I was living in Albany, you came up to visit me a few times, but I remember one time you came up and we didn't really have any like event or anything. So we kind of were just like exploring a little bit. And there was a record store called Fuzz Records and it was kind of new at the time. And to be honest, I don't know if it's still around, but it was uh, kind of a, a low key, smaller place. And you and I just went, you know, record diving and I didn't really see anything that caught my eye but you actually caught a copy of the the record that you brought up you know it was enjoy the ride records pressing so pretty cool especially since um enjoy the ride records is a long island based you know distributor or what would you call it like uh well a repressing yeah (laughs) enjoy the ride um is is ross ross shotland who's super cool dude um and it's kind of interesting. So, you know, he started out um, doing a lot of, uh, you know, represses of records. He, you know, he did like maybe one or two or maybe a couple more. I don't know, um, you know, like kind of original presses. But a lot of them were, um, were represses. And then he kind of took a shot in the dark and like did this um, collaboration with like uh, some like 90s cartoons. And, uh, you know, I don't think anyone knew that it was going to take off but now um he almost exclusively does um like presses for like cartoons from the 90s stuff from nickelodeon stuff from uh cartoon network uh like soundtracks and this like really cool stuff that's not really in the alternative vein as much anymore but people like clamor for it and people are super into it uh so you know from what i've heard you know I, i i used to conversate with him back in the day a little bit, you know, I've kind of lost touch with him, but from what I've heard, he's doing great with all of his stuff. Um, I mean, I feel like almost everything that he presses, um, I feel like, you know, he, he does it in such limited qualities and they end up uh, quantities rather, and they end up, um, you know, getting resold for like big time money. And I know people are big on collecting them. So yeah, well, he, he um, did those two starting line EPs when he first was getting started. He did. Yeah. Yeah. He's done, um, He's done a lot of stuff, like a lot of stuff. Um, I kind of want to just like real quick while we're chatting about it, just um, like see what he's like. I know, kinda... I know he did the the something corporate um, leaving through the window. Yep. Yeah, he did that. He did that. Yeah, he, I think did, he even um, did north, too. I think he did as well. Yeah, he did uh, that. Um, I'm trying to think of what else he did. Like I had so much. But I know he's done. Um, uh, he's done some good Charlotte stuff. Uh, I know he did that band Harvard that I, you know, I, I re- I'm really into. I think he did the first couple of early November EPs too. I think he did from yes, all of this did. and the yes, acoustic EP. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, I think he even did, um, the first I am the avalanche record, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but yeah, he's done a lot of great stuff. Um, and it's awesome. Yep. Definitely did leaving through the window. Did, um, uh, a hot rod circuit record. Uh, he actually did Black Lines to Battlefields, the first acceptance EP yep. as well, which was super cool. So, yeah, and all that stuff is like kind of tough to find now. I had uh, I but, had both of those starting line EPs. Yeah. Th- and speaking of which, 
that starting line acoustic EP. Mm-hmm. I forget the title of it. Do you have it right in front of you? Um, yeah, make, it's make called something home. Make yourself at home is make, what it was called. Yeah, yeah. Make, make yourself at home. One of my favorite acoustic albums of all time. Oh, yeah, really? Okay, I can yeah. dig that. Yeah, I mean that's got some great music on it. It's got some great songs on it. I think um, um, there's this one song that was on it that. Um, like an like an electric version saw the light of day, um, and but it was only like posted online. I don't think it ever got a real release. And of course, I can't think of the name of the song right now. Um, but yeah, lasting impression is on that record. A um, bunch of great great stuff is on is on that little EP. Um, and, and you know what's crazy? Bands used to do that all the time. And I wanted to bring this up with Derek, and I just mm-hmm. totally forgot. And they would have their their release and then in between their next release put out an acoustic album and that was oh, like yeah, okay. commonplace like fallout boy did it um you know the starting line did it I'm trying to think of who else did it uh saves the day did an acoustic uh like an acoustic ep um a couple of bands did. like yeah even like gatsby's american dream like in the the, was it in the land of monsters or lost monsters? in the last of lost monsters yeah but, that, but like that wasn't really like an acoustic ep that was like a full-on like full-on full band ep and still i think it has um some of the some of the best gatsby stuff on that ep but yeah i i even if it's not acoustic a lot of bands would do that because you know you'd um you'd write a record you'd you'd have a you know your record out and like bands would you know kind of sit back on that record tour a lot on that record and then uh you know fans would want more and you know sometimes it wasn't fiscally easy to go and do a, a whole full length again so they'd put out you know a little ep to tide people over it's kind of like what Copeland did when they put out that EP of uh, all of those songs from the eighties. Uh, I think that was in between beneath medicine tree and in motion. Um, and had all those great, like that Phil Collins song on it and all that stuff. So it, it definitely was commonplace. And I don't think that's as big anymore. What is, is I feel like singles are kind of the new thing, you know, like a band will put out a record and then they'll be like, Oh, here's a single. And kind of sit on it for four or five months, and then yeah, but then, then announce. Those, but but then those singles end up making the next full length. Exactly, I was just going to say that you're right. Yep, where that wasn't always the case, you know, in the early two thousands, the stuff that came out on those EPs. You're right. Yeah, I, I would I would actually agree with that for sure. Um, I don't know. It's just like a kind of a long forgotten thing, which is a, a little bit of a bummer. But, but um, State Champs actually does it. <laughs> so that's why I was yeah. like, oh, I should have probably talked about this with Derek. <laughs> but we're, nah, we're sidetracking. But, um, <laughs> but no, no, it's it's all good, man. And, you know, but the whole idea of music from another room um, and that record store, like I, I don't I, I didn't really remember that. And I'm really glad that you brought that up, because I think um, I also found in addition to that juliana theory record i think i found a no effects record um when i was either at that record store or 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 maybe another record store i don't remember but i'm pretty sure i I grabbed this no effects record when i was visiting you yeah uh, is for the decline and uh, it ended up being this super rare press of it on clear vinyl they only did like 200 of them and uh that record i ended up selling for like 900 dollars, and it paid my rent for a whole month isn't that crazy? Dude, I like, you know, this is going on almost 10 years ago, but <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that that was that trip. I think so. I mean, I, I remember just like, cause I actually, their... you know what happened? 
you ended up leaving him in my in my trunk. And oh, shit. you went back to, to Long Island and and then I had to to mail them to you a couple of oh, you know days that's later. That's funny. That's funny. That sounds like me, you know, back in my record buying phase, just buying so many records and not like even Knowing what you had, or <laughs> knowing what I had—that's terrible, man. How how bad is that? But um, uh, enough of us rambling. Um, you know, your homework, kitties and friends, for for this episode is to go listen to your favorite EP from your favorite band. Like I'm talking EP. Like maybe you love AFI, and maybe you want to talk about the All Hollows EP. Maybe you love Fallout Boy. Fallout Boy, and you want to do the Fallout Boy's acoustic EP. Maybe. You want to, you know, talk about Jimmy World Stand My Side Tonight or any of the great EPs that are out there, but go listen to one. And just remember that, you know, back in the day, you know, you would just get three or four songs and would have to tide you over. So listen to some EPs. And, you know, if you listen to this episode, tell us about a cool EP that you love. What does EP even stand for? I feel like I should know that. Extended play is what it stands for. Extended play. So the whole idea. It's like an oxymoron because it's like. So, so the lineage of what an EP really was, was it was an extension of a record like back long, like back in like the fifties and the sixties. So you'd put out an extended play and it would be an extension of your record. Like that was the whole idea. And then it kind of just developed and morphed into, okay, well, an extended play is now just going to mean like a short collection of music. Now, my biggest issue with EPs and has always been my biggest issue is like I love collecting LPs, but like seven inch records, like oh, they're awful, and they just like they don't do it for me. And like a lot of EPs, because of how you know the what, short what length about that's 10 on inch it, records. <laughs> I mean, ten inch records to me are even less, you know, make less sense. But um, I mean, there's you know some great music uh, out on on ten inch records, but like seven inch records, like you got to put your adapter on the record player, and I mean like. You literally get to listen to two songs, maybe six minutes of music. Then you got to get up and flip it. And it's like, oh, my God. So even when I was in my big collecting phase, I didn't collect seven inches or I didn't until at the very end. And then I started getting into them a little bit. But like today, like, you know, I don't even think I would bother with seven inches unless, you know, like part of the intro into it over at Patreon. They sent a, a couple of B-sides on a seven inch that were uh, supposed to be on figure that didn't make the cut. But like. You know, unless it's my favorite band, I don't even think I would really invest in them because I think they're just frivolous. You know, there's so little you can do with them. And, you know, how often are you going to listen to three or four songs? I don't know, man. All right. Well, that was a good <laughs> a good conversation about EPs, and I'm glad we had it. Yeah, so go listen to your favorite EP. That's your homework. And your other homework is to hop on to the Hockey Podcast Network and check out all of the other great content on there because there is a ton of awesome stuff. And we know that uh, if we're your favorite podcast, we appreciate that. And if, uh, you know, hopefully you can find your second favorite and third favorite. And if we're not your favorite, maybe you can find your first favorite, but then, you know, you're dead to me and uh, you don't (laughs) want that. Uh, But um, um, before we go, I know um, we had a couple of contests that just wrapped up. Uh, We announced some of the winners of our, uh, our, our cool gear. I, 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 I saw it today. I, I was so my head was buried in work, but I know you announced the Long Island hockey one and the, uh, Steez contest. Did, did you announce the winner of the smutty nose as well? Or is that one still going on a little longer? Well, by the time this episode drops, oh, that, yeah. that winner will be announced, but mm. currently at the moment it is not announced yet. Okay. But yeah, that's cool. the, the Steez brand and the Long Island hockey company 
winners were contacted and we'll get them their winnings shortly. Hell yeah. You know, and if you guys like contests, you know, just hang with us. Cause you know, we did a lot of uh, cool stuff surrounding the hundredth episode because, you know, we wanted to really beef it up and make sure that, uh, you know, you guys uh, all really went out and listened and that episode is doing great. And we, you know, appreciate everyone that's uh, stuck with us, but uh, we hope you enjoy this one too, because like I said, the Juliana theory are fantastic and, we're super stoked for the new music that they got coming out. Uh, Better Now, again, is available uh, on all of your streaming platforms. You can go ahead and uh, check out the music video. It's heart-wrenching, super uplifting, so, uh, you know, you love to see that. And, um, you know, you know the drill. Catch us on Spotify. Catch us on Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on YouTube now, so you can see our smiling faces on there. Uh, we're still going strong with our uh, with our former guest playlists. We're still kicking it, kicking out the jams with former Friday. And, uh, you know, we got a TikTok now, too. And, you know, Mikey is trying his very best to channel his his inner 18 year old to get you the best TikTok content. But, you know, we're we're in our 30s. So, you know, if we're doing dad stuff, just remember, one of us is a dad. Touche. That would be me. <laughs> Mikey's the dad. I'm not the dad yet, but Mikey's the dad. But on that note, if any of you guys out there are dads, be the best dad that you can be. We love you guys. We appreciate uh, all of the uh, support that you give us. And, uh, you know, check us out next week. We're going to have another awesome episode. And we're going to keep having episodes until uh, someone tells us we can't. And uh, once they tell us we can't, we're just going to have episodes by ourselves. And that's it. So, Mikey, on that note. All right, brother. It's been real. Peace be with you. Also, with you. It's hard for you to relate I had to hit you up Because I couldn't get you off of my mantle Played my heartstrings Yeah, that shit disrespectful Yeah, I met you downtown Then you left in the rental Sticking to my brain like the cocaine oh. On that night, I met you How could I forget you? Like waking up from a beautiful dream Oh, hey, honey, hey I like you But really, I'm not the type to Tell me what you Feet. I'd do anything to live in that moment I'm not begging, but baby, I'm hoping That you'd stay until the morning On that night, I met you How could I forget you? Like waking up from a beautiful dream Oh, hey, honey, hey, I like you But really, I'm not the time to Tell me what you expect from me Starting lineup for your Blue Notes podcast. 
Tom Franklin and the man called Wags. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes. I am one half of your Blue Notes team, Tom Franklin, joined by my teammate, the man called Wags. And we are your home for St. Louis Blues coverage on the Hockey Podcast Network. And that includes expert analysis, whether it's at Enterprise Center. When you're fighting for spots for the playoffs, one or two points could make the difference. And we'll be looking back at games like tonight here at Enterprise Center as lost opportunities. Or at home. Penalties, that was a big, big piece. You know, you're wearing down some of your best players because they're out on the, the ice for so many penalty kill opportunities. Just a complete breakdown. Blues first round pick, Jake Neighbors. Braden Chan texted me and then uh, the head coach, Craig Berube, reached out as well and um, Ryan O'Reilly as well. And then um, the next day on day two of the draft, uh, Tarasenko FaceTimed me. So uh, that was pretty cool. So. <laughs> and we're the only hockey podcast in the Hockey Podcast Network to have a Hawaiian hockey correspondent. The Hawaii Blues fan, Guy Bensing. In true Dan Kelly fashion, Dan Kelly says, F you, Keaton. I know who's the starting pitcher for game four of the World Series. You damn well know who the starting goalie is for game four of the NHL season. And then walked away. And we have a musician, too. Not only is he responsible for this fat beat you're listening to right now, but he has also performed absolute works of art. And it seems to me you played the game with a candle to your rear. Never wanting to leave the ice when the pain set in. So check out Blue Notes wherever you get your podcast from. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump. Listen to Blue Notes and always play to the whistle. A reminder that you can follow Blue Notes on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Blue Notes Pod. I'm the voice of the blues, Tom Calhoun. 